You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. My name is Ruzbe Hedari, and I make films. Starting his career in the edit suite, Ruzbe Hedari quickly established himself as a much sought after editor. Determined to direct, Ruzbe sought the tutelage of notable industry vets, including his father, legendary Iranian filmmaker Jamshid Hedari. Inspired by stories he feels compelled to tell, Ruzbe has emerged as a unique voice in the Canadian filmmaking landscape. Here's my chat with Ruzbe Hedari. Who are you and what do you make for a living? Uh, my name is Ruzbe Hedari and I make films. How'd you get started doing this? It was a, oof. well, I started off, you know, always into music. I was always playing live music, writing music, recording music, touring. I toured in heavy metal and punk bands for 10 years of my life in my teenage years into my 20s. And then, you know, that there was, a, and there was a lot I was always trying to say with the music, whether it was emotional, whether it was uh, a social message, a political message, you know, that's why we played punk rock and metal. And it, it just got to a point where I, I saw that, you, you know, the message or what I'm trying to express is only going to get to a limited audience. And there's got to be a better way. There's got to be another way, not the better way, but there's got to be another way. And, you know, growing up with my dad, well, not always, he, he wasn't always, he was rarely there, but like, that's kind of the connection. That's how I maintain a connection was, with him was through the arts and through film, right? And, you know, I, I realized that like, hey, listen, film is the all-encompassing form of expression. It takes... Uh, it takes your spatial arts, like architecture, it takes history, it takes literature, it takes music, it takes costume design, it takes theater, and puts it all into one package, uh, effectively allowing you to be very expressive and, 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 and really refine your communication skills. Um, so that's when I got drawn to film, when music no longer kind of could, could contain my expression. Right. It wasn't the full aspect of yeah what it was like it say. was like i, can, I, can, I want to reach more people and i want to say things in a little bit more clear than just screaming into a microphone <laughs> <laughs> with a purple mohawk <laughs> you know there's a very limited audience for that you get a lot of attention but not necessarily your message doesn't necessarily get across yeah it's garbled <laughs> like literally oh. <laughs> you know and and so you, you know I, I i i started studying film at uh at york into the joint program with Seneca. And actually, it wasn't even until I graduated where my dad found out because he wasn't, he's never in the country, right? right? So, well, so tell me about your dad just, just, for, just for the audience to understand who your dad is. Yeah, he's, he's been making films in Iran since I would say the, the late 60s, early 70s. He made his first film that hit the theaters there when he was only 18 years old. Feature. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was an amazing film. And the first film he made after the revolution in 1979 actually all the copies of that film got uh rounded up by the by the islamic republic and burnt in a fire and that movie they tried to erase it uh from the face of the earth so shall we say he he had an, an activist side a political side certainly to his his work well again like when you're when you're an artist you have a, you put yourself on a platform and it's now like you you, you use that platform to 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 say something right and in a society like that, how can you be an artist and not comment on the insanity that's going on? It's almost like you're not an artist if you don't do that, right? So, in fact, I think in one of your questions, you were like, uh, you know, what inspires you to be creative or whatever? And I wrote oppression. <laughs> yeah, which I found really fascinating. I mean, oppression is what drives your ideas? 
It's where you uh, find it, things. I mean, I'm driven. I've always, since I was a kid, been driven by injustice in the world uh, and trying to, to yell and scream about it. You know, like, oh, my God, there's something wrong. Look, like, look, there's something wrong over here. I'm not exactly trying to say what to do about it or what should be done about it. That's not my job. But recognize. But my, yeah, my, my job is to push past the veils in search of a truth and, and communicate my findings, which isn't even necessarily the truth. It's just the stuff that I was able to find. You know what I mean? So, so that, that's always, yeah, that's always what's driven me. Uh, is, is, and, and if you look at my works, um, you know, whether the last, last piece I did, which was Cypher, which you helped us work on, you know, which, which talks about mental health addiction, societal struggles, right? And, you know, the film I did in Iran before that, uh, the, the theme of that, it's called Together Again, and the theme of that is adapted uh, from a true story about uh, a woman who, who was framed for a murder and unjustly executed, right? So thematically, yeah, the, 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 the social commentary has always been what, what, what's driven by my, my work, whether it, even in music, right? Like the, 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 the punk rock was very political. Right, it was the social commentary. So, it would seem that you have no end then to inspiration. You don't run into a lot of blah or <laughs> doubt or anything because sadly the world is a pretty the screwed world, up yeah. place. It's a very screwed up place, man. And there's a lot going on. And and you know, again, our you know our job as artists is it's not to tell people what to do. It's we could just uh, you know provoke some thought. Yeah, but by provoking thought, don't you don't you actually aren't you affecting change? I mean, aren't you? helping solve or or asking people to solve you would hope so yeah i mean that's why you do it is is to kind of greenify the space around you right that's yeah but uh you know to to, to say that that's i kind of don't want the ego to get in the way and be like i'm a teacher or something you know what i mean well so how do you how do you navigate that then how do you how do you say take a look over here i'm showing you something and at the same time uh you know i i'm i'm not necessarily judging you for not knowing or not noticing and I, but I want you to do something through 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 storytelling, right? Because at the end of the day, a story a story is not a manifesto. A story is a journey, you know, with an emotional uh, transformation within you know your 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 characters or even the environment that they're in, you know. So through through that, you know, you 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 can you can really get across to people through storytelling, right? Which is which is not dictative. It's not like it's not like I'm not writing the communist manifesto and saying this is it, this is how. No, I'm just telling stories of what I've seen. Right, inviting people into this world that that they may not have known. Check out these stories. What do you think about this? This is happening in your backyard. You know what I mean. So I think that's how you navigate the the from preachy to to, to artistry. Right, is is through literally your medium is storytelling. Right, and for you, storytelling doesn't necessarily mean strictly doc or strictly narrative or no. and you've not you've certainly done a bunch of things like comedy and you, you, you all the genres are available to you you've you've surfed them all in terms of ways of sort of pointing people towards a, a thought or a, or an issue of course and i think that's like like that the reason i do that is because i think i'm just trying to become the best communicator i can be so i always you know i'm like how do you communicate in this way or in this way or in this way and never just fix on one form of communication because at the end of the day art is communication and culture right so for me i think it's just trying to become the the most effective communicator i can so let me roll back then to you coming out of york with obviously a hell of a lot to say but at that point did you have the skills to say it 
Oh, no. I mean, how did you develop those skills? How did that kind of come to pass? How did you get into the business and find your way to being a director, a producer? Remember 235 Films? I do. That's where I met you. Yeah. Remember the butcher shop? Absolutely. <laughs> That's where I met you. Aiden Bahadori. So, Aiden Bahadori, Warren Sonoda. I would credit those two uh, in Canada to being the people that really let me cut my chops and, and practice my riffs. Because you came up as you know, an editor. Like, initially exactly right? and i'll tell you why because warren he was like i met warren after after right after school i was in there uh, with those guys interning with them and warren was like so what do you want to do like well, i want to and i was like Warren, i want to make stuff i want to create stuff i want to tell stories so, like, so you want to direct i was like yeah it's like well the first thing you're going to do is you're going to sit down and you're going to learn how to edit <laughs> right he said and that for years he's exactly right right and and when he said that, because you know, when your dad says something, you don't always take it to heart. You're like, it's, so that echoed what my dad said, you know, maybe a few weeks before that, actually. And I was like, okay, so these two guys that I respect and have a lot of, you know, admiration for, and, you know, I'm willing to listen, they're both saying the same thing sit down and edit. And so I sat down and through observation, you know, the first while it was just like I didn't talk, I didn't, I just observed. If some, if you know, if Warren or Aiden was sitting down cutting something, or they had a client meeting, you know, you were there. I was just sitting there in the corner watching, observing, and and I think and I think you can learn a lot through observation. We were always taught that don't open your mouth unless you really got something to contribute. I think a lot of people open their mouths before they have something to say. To say right, and and I think we're lucky for being taught that. I think by parents because a lot of people aren't. And I quickly in that studio that we met, I quickly like saw and learned that like. All these kids are coming in through school and none of them are staying past a couple of days. And I was like, why? And they're all opening their mouths when they shouldn't and kind of getting in the way of the creative process that they don't know about because it's not, this is someone else's creative process that you're sitting in on. So just watch it, you know, like don't, don't put up a hurdle for them, you know, in, you know, in the 11th hour when they got to deliver something in, in, in 30 minutes and they've been up for six days, like now's <laughs> not the time. Just watch and see how they do it. And even if they're doing it wrong, you're still learning. You're like, I wouldn't do it like that. But you don't say it. You just you just make a mental note of like, hey, if this time ever comes for me, I would go about it this way and that way and the other. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, when someone takes you on as a, you know, as, 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 a, as a mentor and becomes your mentor, you're not, you're not supposed to sit there and challenge the way they do. You know, they've had, you know, they had that much respect for you that they took you on. So have the respect for them and let them do what they do and learn from it. Yeah. And I remember when we, uh, when you and I met and it was on a project and I remember, you know, and I remember talking with, um, with Aiden and saying, okay, I need, I need a good cutter and I've got no bucks and I got a crazy deadline or whatever else. And I remember asking if Aiden would cut it and he was cutting less and less at that time. He was getting more into the business side of stuff. He said, I got the guy for you. And it was you and I said, well, who is this guy? What has he done? He's like, he's new, he's fresh. And he's, and he said, he's got the best eyes for story. He's better than oh, me. Wow. And he said, he said, he's better than me. He's not, he doesn't have it all yet. In other words, you were, you were still starting out. You were fresh, but he's like, I see it. So you're going to be happy. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm hearing this just now. That's yeah. Cool. I don't think I've ever told you that. It's funny. I, for <laughs> no, all these no. years, I, it made me laugh. I was like, oh man. I gotta and then, and then we went on to you and I make a bunch of cool stuff together. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, we, we made some cool stuff together. We made some eh? fun stuff. Absolutely. Like, like whether it was four pounds. 52, the immigrants. Or, or no, it was, 
Yeah, 52, yeah. four pounds, the immigrant. You were on, even on that, Masculathon even, with us. Yeah. And, and even uh, remember that red carpet crash we did? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too, too spirited with Scott Thompson, where he, he started oh, his own so uh, film festival right outside the uh, right outside tip just to kind of so stick it to good. I can't believe you and I and Scott went and crashed. <laughs> yeah. Completely illegal shooting. Just go onto the road and start start the cameras up and, and we just grab people. Yeah, that was it. We so, just grabbed him. so again, like, look at that, man. Like, just coming back to another point we're making to make just make content. That's even Scott Thompson, the guy wanted to make something. He's not waiting around for this green light or that green light or this. The guy's just literally putting his neck out on the line because he wants to make something and he does it and he finds the team and he does it. You know what I mean? So, so if Scott Thompson's not above doing that, no one else should be, man. It's funny that you say. Scott comes from punk roots. I mean, his, his band Mouth Congress from all That's the way right. back in the day with Paul Bellini, which just put out a movie. It's just come out now, actually. Mouth Congress. Come the movie. on. Yeah. Feature film. Yeah. Josh and I, my come brother on. and I helped out on that and we, we produced and, and, and shot a bunch of it. And yeah. And it's about this crazy art punk band that they were in, you know, and it was a real band and it just, it died when the kids in the hall were on their way up. Of and course. that was kind of the thing. And so, you know, Scott got swallowed up into the into the kids stuff and Bellini as well. He went and wrote for it and, and went on for 22 minutes and all this stuff. Even, even guys at that stage, they're still making stuff. They're still out there putting stuff out. They're finding old stuff and finding new ways to reconfigure it and put it out yeah. there. And, you know, that's something that all of us were taught. And we all, we learned that from guys like them. We learned from guys like Warren. You know, it's, it's, it's something in the way that we decided that we were going to always make stuff. And I guess it's the, the punk thing makes sense too, man. Cause like punk rock tells you just do it yourself. Yeah. That's the biggest, and biggest takeaway from, <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest takeaway from punk rock is DIY. That's like the biggest thing, the gift that they gave to the world was those three letters. Do it yourself. <laughs> DIY punk. You know what I mean? Which honestly, man, it's, it's, I, I, I think if you don't live by those rules, man, you're not making anything for yourself. You know, that's that you're authoring. You know what I mean? Because, you know, at the end of the day, man, even Harmony Corinne, you know, a guy like that, he goes and just does it, man. He's not waiting. You know, he wants to make something. And I think then making a living off that, it's just like either it happens or it doesn't. But you are, if you're an artist that that, that is like that, you are willing to eat craft dinner <laughs> forever because you believe in what you're doing as, well you're sustained as, by your art a little bit too i mean exactly but you know the learning filmmaking i think editing man editing you gotta know how to edit and i remember being on set with sonoda and you know one time he cut and he's famous producers love him because he comes in under budget never goes over time wraps the day a little early i remember one day i was like eavesdropping on the crew members after a shoot and no one thought they got the day they're like, did we even? And then, you know, next week Warren's cutting it. It's done, and he's like, "No, Ruse, I got everything I needed to get because I'm shooting for the edit." Yeah, he's always been an economical shooter. There's no question. And he and he's an editor, and he shoots for the edit, right? And and so after after all those years, when I went and made my first short film, I shot it on 35 mil. It was called The Prize. It was a sure. children's short. I, I shot in my hometown in Shiraz, and the film uh, ended up being about 10 minutes and changed 10 and a half minutes and i only shot 16 minutes of film oh wow talk about getting what you need so you know and especially because i'm shooting on stock right like so it's like i don't have much of it i can't really even screw around here right because if it runs out man there's like 
I can't shoot. Right? Well, that's so, some of the stuff I remember from shooting music videos back in the day. You shot, you did two takes of everything, and you put in, and you 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 swap the mag, and you're off and running. And then you do a one it. light like a week later, and that's it. But let's be honest, man. After that that shift happened. I don't know. Maybe you could echo this. I saw directors getting real fucking lazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, back, you know, well, back then we, I was a producer. So yeah, I saw a lot of really lazy directors. That's for sure. When we switched to digital, right. It was like, now they don't even know where they want to cover this shot from. They're like, just cover it from six angles. That's right. Bring up more cameras, throw in more uh, cartridges and call it a day. And more posts. And, but like, but like, you know, that's not really directing, is it? No, directing is a choice. Directing is a choice. You know where you want to be for this and that and this. And it's there for a reason because that framing, that composition, that angle is conveying a lot. You know, it was funny because when we went to digital, uh, I think Aiden and I were the first people in Toronto to convert red footage, right? We were, we were getting red footage and we were blowing up computers and this and that. And we were like, last week when we were shooting on film, this job, you would give us an hour of footage. Now there's five hours of footage. Like, what are you crazy? Like, what are you shooting? Do you know what you're shooting? Yeah, because shooting for safety now became just just shoot everything. Just to shoot everything, and 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 no one's calling cut even. No one's cutting. No one's calling cut. You're just rolling between takes. Oh, I miss I miss 35, man. I miss 35. <laughs> I'll tell you that I miss it because it it really allowed you to become a director too, right? On set. So, you know, the, the, the crowd behind you now, they can't tell you. Maybe we can try it for this and that. And you're like, no, I, I only got this much stock, bro. Moving on. <laughs> so, yeah. Sadly, you yeah. can't say I only have this many SD cards. I'm moving on. No, yeah. no. They're like, go to Best Buy right there. <laughs> Get another one. Shove another one in there. <laughs> and not to shit on kids these days, man. But like back then, man, being a filmmaker, it meant you knew how to expose film. You know, you, you burned celluloid, man you burned silver nitrate and you knew how to do that and that was a craft man you know what i mean there's no monitors there's no video world you know what i mean like you you know your lenses you know your lighting you know the film stock you know what i mean like you know how that's gonna look well and they all had impact on how the story was being told exactly they were tools of the trade they weren't just you know things you could swap out crop in on and so on and so forth yeah like when everything shifted over to 4k and everybody's just like well Shoot 4K, finish HD, and you can punch in and zoom punch around it. the screen. Punch in! Oh, Remember punching that in. shit? Oh. You don't have close-ups. Just punch in 60%. You're like, <laughs> but then it doesn't look like a shot anymore. <laughs> because people forgot when you punch it. Like, okay, you have this, this frame. It looks like that because of the lens distortion, because of the everything, right? So now if you go in on a little, like, pixel of it, it just looks like a like a like a security cam. Well, it looks like you smashed your face up to the, <laughs> yeah. up to the screen. Just punch in guys. So I, I don't want, I don't want to shit on kids these days, but like sometimes it really gets like, it really like things crawl under my skin. When I just hear that word thrown around, oh, I'm a filmmaker. Like, well, yeah, everyone with an iPhone. I mean, yeah, exactly. listen, and there's I mean, people doing some interesting stuff with iPhones. Don't get me wrong, but man, you got to sure, do but, that but, for, per, with purpose. Yeah. And don't be a waiter at Taroni's bro, please. Like, <laughs> make your films suffer because if you're not suffering and you know what i mean you're you're going home on your tips and your your waiting wage you're not suffering man there's no nothing at stake for you like just stop working your your 
side gig, you know, and become a filmmaker. Like, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're not exposing the film. Shoot it on the fucking iPhone. But, but don't work at Taroni's. Don't work at the I, iPhone store or the Apple store. You know what I mean? Take the risk. Take the plunge. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to work out for her. Okay, so tell me about what they should do. I've quit my job at Taroni. What do I do next? Where do I go? Okay, so why do you want to be a filmmaker? What is it? Is there something that you have to say? I like to think I've got something to say. Write it down, right? Write it down. Don't get it right. Get it written. Get it right in the rewrites. Now you have to write your story. And now, you know, fuck what I just said about 35. Now you have no excuse, man. You can write it down and you can fucking film it and it can be 4K. You shoot it on the cell phone, right? And there's all sorts of festivals that accept, that even encourage cell phone films. So get the shit down, write it down and keep practicing. Make it and make it. Send it to every festival. Sacrifice yourself. Sacrifice the last 10 bucks and send it into a festival. Right. And then when you get into festivals, now you can start building a network. And wow, dare I say an international network. Well, you've always made it your business to go to the festivals that you got into. Oh, yeah. And you've worked those festivals. Of course, man. You have to, man. You, you have like you, you get put into the same room with with some of the most talented, amazing, unsuspecting people that you never even thought would cross your paths when you get to these film festivals. You know what I mean? Whether it's international producers, distributors, um, other other directors, you know, that you just become friends with. And having a circle of friends that are filmmakers, there's that whole saying, like, like your friends really are a reflection of who you are, right? So if your friends are waiters and waitresses versus your friends now are filmmakers, and instead of Facebooking at two in the morning with your waiter buddy, you're Facebooking with a director out in Germany or, or, or wherever, like now all of a sudden things are happening, whether you like it or not. Right. So it's that initial, like, I am a filmmaker. That definite statement, that definite statement, right? Somebody, some years ago had asked me, you know, how did you become a producer? And I said, I woke up one day and I said, I'm a producer. And that literally is the story. We were on a show. The show had no producer. I was helping out a buddy who was on it. And I was like, oh, man, this show is so disorganized. And I just said, okay, I'm the producer. And of course, I knew nothing. Yeah. I mean, other than, as you were saying earlier, I knew what I wasn't going to do. I saw a whole bunch of stuff that made no sense. And I started making stuff up. And then I was like, hey, you know what? We got through that. That was, that was less painful because I did that. Exactly. So I'm going to do it another time. And this time I'm going to correct my own mistakes. And I'm going to start looking for people who have been doing this longer than me and people have been doing this better and bigger than me. And I start seeing what they did. So that's a, that's, a, that's a big thing, man. I am. And then you say what you are. I mean, that's whether you like it or not, that's magic. That's a spell. You know, you're casting a spell to cast a spell means to spell something out. How much more literal can we get here? You want to be a doctor, <laughs> go be a doctor, but obviously there's steps, right? But the first thing is to acknowledge what it is that you want to be. So ultimately, with your with your work, what, I mean, what are you hoping to achieve? Oh man, there's just so many stories that I hope I'm alive enough, long enough to tell, man. Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, to 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 become a, the most effective communicator I can be, and I think with every project, with every film, with every short, whether it's doc or drama, I mean, you just you hone that craft, and there's not a single project or a single day, in fact that goes by where I'm not learning a new method, a new thing, a new 
piece of history, something, man. Like, and the thing is that you're constantly growing and constantly learning until you become a caricature of yourself, which I hope to become one day. You know, like like Herzog, <laughs> you know, or or Godard, or even Scorsese. Now, you know, uh, at this age, they're essentially caricatures of themselves, and their films are caricatures of themselves. But they're allowed. I mean, they got theirs. So the goal is to become a caricature of myself. <laughs> You know, and, and like dude, being resourceful in filmmaking, you know, is everything, man. I mean, how much how much of that did your brother Josh even teach you? Because he taught me a lot about being resourceful and how to get a shot from nothing. Yeah. You know, with a couple little set dressings and the right angle, the, the right lighting. You know, uh, Josh, I, I saw on his films, you know, I, I learned a lot from that, from just just how he was able to get make a shot out of nothing. What people don't know about Josh was that how is how great of a producer he actually is as well. He would always say, you know, okay, well, we've got the scene in an airport, and everybody tells him, okay, well, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get a studio, we're gonna build this airport thing, and we're gonna do X, Y, and Z. It's gonna be really hard to find it because we're overseas and it's all this stuff. And he's just like, has any? Why don't you call the airport and see if we can shoot at the airport? And they're like, oh no, the airport will be too expensive. Oh no, there'll be you know legal implications. There'll be logistical problems and so on and so forth. And he's just like, but did you call? And nobody would have called. And so he just called. And then the next, the next week they're shooting at the airport. There was always a practical side to the impractical things that he was making. And, and there was always a means to get it. And it was usually finding out what was possible and making it happen with that. Just like you're saying, whether it's in a shot or whether it's landing a location that seems impossible to imagine you get. You know, the stuff that, that Josh was really good at, and I'll always carry this with me is like remember that scene in the immigrant in the back of the truck right like that actually wasn't shot in the back of a truck no when they, no it was just like a like a couple little props the right lighting and the right camera angle it was literally right shot under a blanket in a that's backyard it. and it, and and that's it and and all we did was shake the blanket around exactly and let a little crack of light through and you, that's all you know and and so many people would not have thought to do that they would have tried to like go get a truck shoot in the no dude there's a you know, so between the favors and sort of a creative approach to, to getting your shots, like the, it's, it's a lot of problem solving, you know, and, and knowing how to, you know. But that goes back to making those decisions we spoke about earlier. That's why you can't just, just because you have unlimited cameras and unlimited film, for lack of a better term, unlimited yeah. gigabytes. It doesn't mean you just, you just shoot the literal way. You, if you know what shot you want to get, you can actually use props and movie magic and imagination that's right movie magic man people forget about that <laughs> people forget about that you know and like dude as the editor when i got that raw footage i was like asking josh how the fuck did you did you and then you guys explained it i was like that's that's how you make a fucking movie <laughs> that's how you, you know it's grueling man like and you know there's so many there's more downs than there are ups there are more sleepless hungry nights than there are red carpet so you really got to be into what you're doing otherwise it's not like it's not going to fulfill you man because it sucks to say but you know all my peers all of my peers like the one thing that we do not chase the carrot that you cannot dangle in front of us is that dollar sign like we're doing it for everything but the dollar which is sad you know because we often get shafted you know we do end up <laughs> <laughs> But if you're doing it for that reason, for the, the if your drive is the passion and the fire that's inside you, man, you're going to be okay. 
Well, so let's talk about this for a second, because at the end of the day, you got to eat. I mean, whether it's macaroni, whether it's filet mignon, when you're, when you, when you bother to put something forth to people, when you go out there and you say, okay, I'm going to write, sit down, write this script on my own dime and with my own blood, sweat and tears, I'm going to, you know, bring all these people together. I'm going to grab the locations, book everybody, pay, deal with the legal, deal with the accounting, deal with the millions of things that, 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 that have to go right in order to get anything of value on, on camera. How do you organize that? What does that team look like? Well, man, you know, you know, every job is unique to its own. Like, for instance, I'm releasing a, a documentary in August this year uh, that me and my two partners on this film, we spent last five years making this doc it's about an artist who painted heavy metal album art as well. He's done, um, he has a huge collection of wall-sized Tolkien art that's all owned by Peter Nahum, who was the guy who started the Antiques Roadshow, right? So that film, man, we literally, we would work the commercial world during the, the year. Kevin, Jory, and I would save up our money and we would uh, spend it all on the shoots on the in the summertime. We'd go to Europe for three years. We went to shoot with this guy every summer. And, you know, when we look at our bills, the, between the three of us, we probably dropped about sixty to 75000 bucks somewhere in there. And now we're releasing it for charity online. <laughs> you know, so there's that. Or... But wait a second. Tell me about that. Why are you releasing it for charity? Like, why isn't there uh, money coming back to you? Is there is there no distributor? What's this, the story here? Just a loophole. In Canada, you know, that's 75 bucks I just donated to charity. I'm going to see that back in tax return, right? And every dollar that's made on the film after that, that is going to charity, that's all deductible. I see. So this is actually a bit of a business plan. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like it, we didn't think of it as a business plan, but like then someone tipped us off to that. They were like, listen, man, if you're releasing for charity, you're going to claim every penny of this, right? So we, uh, we are releasing it uh, and all the proceeds and funds are going to this charity called the Sophie Lancaster Fund in England, which is the charity of our subject's choice in the documentary. And uh, Sophie Lancaster was a girl who got beaten to death on the streets of London just for being a misfit, for looking like a freak. So her mother has started a foundation, you know, for street youth and for just to raise awareness about this kind of thing. You know, so, something like a doc like that, that we've spent all this time and money into, yeah, we could go and like try and sell it to Prime or Netflix and duh. But at the end of the day, we just want people to see it. And for some reason, our idea of selling, of, of releasing it for a charitable cause, someone tipped us off, you know. But, you know, there's a film that I've been developing over this Corona lockdown period. There's three, two or three films we've been developing uh, with this company called Red Hill Entertainment. And this one, uh, you know, it's a lot different than that. So I'm just saying, like, every, every project is its own beast. This one, Dana Abraham wrote the script, who actually wants to star in the film as well. It's about a life experience that he's drawing from. He represented Canada in boxing. And, uh, you know, now we're in talks with Sabin Films to get distribution on board. Uh, we've hired uh, a casting director to get the script out in front of the right cast. You know, we're talking to a venture capitalist to fundraise for them, you know. So that is way different than a, than a documentary you're doing on your own dime. Both is equally as passionate about both of them because, you know, let's not forget it whether it's a short film or a feature length or whatever, you are devoting a big chunk of your life once you say yes to a, one, of the, one of those projects. So you better be in it. So, you know, with the, and this film is called El Tigre that we're going to hopefully go to camera in November. 
where does it shoot here well, yeah it's set in toronto you know uh we want to we wanted to you know pay pay a tribute to toronto because nothing really you never see toronto for toronto and you know we all grew up here and it's nice to be able to make a story about your city you know and at this point too when uh you know a distributor or any sort of investor kind of bats or thinks twice they're like well it's in toronto all you have to say now is well it's the fastest growing city in north america motherfucker <laughs> we are we have the biggest artists in the world our fucking basketball team is better than all of yours <laughs> what do you have to say about a story in toronto like now toronto now thankfully we don't can have to apologize toronto. anymore no exactly because it is you know mentioned in the same breath as tokyo and london and japan and 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 and, and uh, la you know so and, and it's going to be really really nice to, to, to film a story in toronto about toronto about toronto people about a slice of life in toronto right about the streets of toronto which are never talked about yeah which is fascinating because i do see toronto not just growing but coming into its own it seems yeah. like it's finally understanding that it doesn't have to be ashamed and it doesn't have to be the little brother anymore yeah and with this film i i hope i we hope to take toronto to like you know international festivals and have a story that is about toronto takes place in toronto on a world stage you know that's that's the hope with this one so in addition to finding actual investors, let's say for certain projects and on the flip side, paying for everything yourself, do you also hop online, do things like Patreon and social media and stuff to generate interest, generate funding and things along those lines as well? For funding, we haven't yet. Now for this, for this documentary that I was mentioning uh, that we're releasing in August, we still have to pay off uh, a bunch of the music bills. The rights. The rights yeah, yeah there's there's like a, there's a we have a big bill to pay for for some music so i i think i think one of our options for that to actually be able to release it by august is we're we're gonna we're gonna crowdfund because there's a lot of international bands in there that if they just plug it on their social media their fans are gonna pitch in a couple bucks here and there so it's 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 like a project where i think we'll benefit from a little bit of crowdfunding right Gets a little excitement beforehand. Then when it comes out, it's almost pretty yeah. And, and there's so many bands that are in this film that have such a large following that if we just ask them to like tweet about it or you know you know throw it on their Facebook, it's gonna it's gonna generate some momentum. But not every project I think is meant for 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 crowdfunding. You know, it, it, it's it's like taking your newborn baby that's not even born yet to the mall. <laughs> Right? Like you're going to try not to do that unless you really have to. <laughs> so I was going to ask you, like, what does a normal day look like for you? But I'm pretty sure the answer is there's no such thing as a normal day. Normal day? COVID normal or pre-COVID? It could be COVID. It could be pre-COVID. I, I, I don't know what's going on with COVID. So, yeah. What is it? What is a day <laughs> looking like for you as a filmmaker in COVID? And, and wh where are you seeing things go? To, to, to stay on top of things, man, you have to set schedules for yourself. You have to be up at a certain time. Even if you're up working until an hour before then, you make sure you get up at that time and plug away. Recently, I have never did this in my life, but uh, after Cypher, ever since that project, I've been doing these to-do lists. So I wake up in the morning and I write down a to-do list. And I find that that really keeps you going from A to B. It's pretty satisfying crossing it off. Cross, oh, dude. And if it's not there, you sometimes you're lo I'm lost, right? I'm like, well, what am I? But no, that to-do list. So I wake up. Generally, I'm up between 7 and 7.30 these days. Bright and early. Bright and early. And, you know, I'm in bed 
you know, because of COVID, man, there's like literally not much. <laughs> I'm in bed You're by well literally, like <laughs> I, by midnight, by one a.m. I'm dozing off, you know. So that's you know, and 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 now it's a ton of Zoom meetings. Like I've had more Zoom meetings. We did we did a table read on Zoom. Really, how'd that go? It was great. Yeah. You know, you know, man, you get your script to a certain point and you got it, you got to hear it read, you know? So we've done it. We've done two table reads from two different scripts on zoom. Uh, I never thought in my life I'd do a table read like that, you know, but it was, it was nice. It was, there was nothing wrong with it. No. And the nice thing is you probably recorded it. You can actually rewatch it and actually go, oh, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to drill down on this piece. This part wasn't working for me. I wonder why let's watch it again. Let's figure it out. It, which is funny because the table reads we used to previously do, we also used to record, but like, who, you know, it's better to watch it than just have an audio recording of a, you know, and now you got all these little squares popping up. It's cool, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, another thing I've been um, hearing about and getting approached by different uh, people in the field is um, virtual sets. Uh, I think I think we're going to start seeing a lot more virtual sets because you know, with travel restrictions, not being able to fly an entire crew out to the desert, you can just make a virtual desert. Uh, now, what that entails is you do your pre-production, you do your post-production in pre. So if you have this big LED panel with like the Grand Canyon, well, when the camera moves like that, this has got to move with it. So again, now I think it's going full circle because now you really have to plan every shot out. Right. Your prev is now is actually required as part of your yes. film which yes. means you actually have to plan out what it's going to look like how it's going to you feel, get to direct again hey, hey we've done it we've come all over all we needed was a pandemic exactly and now we're directing again so i mean with all these limitations what keeps you moving forward and wanting to make stuff as opposed to saying you know what there's too many things wrong there's too many difficulties i'm 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 done for now i'm going to try something a different form of expression man if, if i accepted defeat i would have been dead a long time ago <laughs> just being stubborn you know and i and literally having stories that you really like you cannot sleep if you don't tell them you know like that that's the motivation is like the stories that you're trying to tell is that's your motivation like i can't sleep if this is not happening like i i'm losing sleep i'm restless i have anxiety i'm you know not myself i'm you know walking in circles and then into walls you know, so I think the stories are what motivates you, man. What sort of advice would you give to somebody who's trying to get into film at this point, trying to get into TV and into content, storytelling of this nature? Study everything. Watch more films than anyone you know. Read more books than anyone you know. That's your first step. Study, study, study. Because you have to learn the language to speak the language. And... And then you have to speak the language. So practice, 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 right? Write stories, figure out, you know, how you can tell a story with your iPhone and, and figure out quick, cool little quirks like juxtaposition, you know, like all that stuff, like how you can give one shot so much meaning with just simply putting one little thing before and after it, like experiment, learn the language, make, 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 cut, 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 shoot, 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 right, 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 repeat, 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 you know, even if it's stuff the world will never see right? Like when you were learning how to speak English, you, you were told to write essays. No one's ever going to read those fucking essays. You're not, you don't even know, but now you're speaking English, aren't you? So where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Vimeo. 
Uh, Ruzbe Hidari is my Instagram handle, vimeo.com slash Ruzbe Hidari. You can see a bunch of my work. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us how you make a living. Oh, wow. <laughs> thank you. It's over. <laughs> Love you, Roby. Thanks, man. That was so much fun. Subscribe to Making a Living Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. Making a Living Show is brought to you by me. But if you'd like it to be brought to you by you, then become a patron of the program at makingalivingshow.com. There's a button there that will take your money and give it to me. You can find me at robylevy.com. Thanks for listening.